A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Part of me thinks it's a, it would be okay to live in Norway, but where I live in Colorado is really sunny, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you know, the the forecast for tomorrow looks promising. Yeah, this yeah. morning it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, Too nice. And you're doing the <laughs> Hamperuken tomorrow, the long yep. one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now we are recording, by the way, so. Okay. Clean up your political agenda. <laughs> right. <laughs> Filter. Filter on. <laughs> I first met Megan Kimmel in 2014 as I was in Chamonix for an event with Essex. The second time I met her was August this year as I went up to the Tromsø Sky Race weekend. I ran the 32k long Tromsdalstin Sky Race and Megan went for the 57k long Hamperuken Sky Race. My name is Magnus Ormestad and this is the Swedish outdoor podcast Husky. Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet and it is powered by Nordic Green Energy, Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. Welcome to episode 24 of the Husky International series and a long interview with runner Megan Kimmel. If you want to know more about this, please head over to huskypodcast.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at the handle huskypodcast. <laughs> uh, but what are your uh, like initial th- thoughts on Tromsø, like the surroundings? Uh, my initial thoughts on Tromsø are... Um, kind of what I thought in the way that you have the fjords, how Trump's was about the size I thought, which was a small city really, and with lots of open land. Um, but I didn't expect such um, so many um, accessible ridge lines. really. I expected more of just like a green land kind of thing. So yeah, I'm all the more impressed. So a bit like sharper, rougher mountains or what? Um, just rockier ridgelines, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yeah, because this is like the first time in Scandinavia or? Yeah, it's my first time in all of Scandinavia. Yeah, wow. And for how many days have you been here? Uh, I came here on Tuesday, so day three or four right now. Mm -hmm. Is that, do you feel like climatized or with the time zone and everything and the... uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because I deal with jet lag a lot. Yeah. And actually, before here, I was just in Spain, so I didn't have the jet oh, lag okay, to deal okay. with. So you're on the European time. Yeah, at, for, you know, it had been probably four days I was in Spain. Yeah. Um, but it was so amazing because then um, I realized um, the 24-hour day up here. And I thought that that was just hard, just hard to adjust for. <laughs> the first night I got here, I didn't go to bed until 2.30 a.m. <laughs> you got good curtains? Yeah, I do have good curtains in the bedroom, <laughs> but I didn't get here until late, so... So that I thought that was pretty funny because uh, there's another bit of adjustment that you really have to do oh, yeah. if oh, yeah. you want to be on a decent sleep schedule for running, waking up, and having a good race on race day. Are you very aware of your like, like how many hours of sleep you get when it comes to like 
recharging and like preparing for a race? Uh, yeah, I'm not strict on anything, but I think if there's anything I am pretty strict on, it'd be sleep. Yeah. Um, I've been in a time of my life where I haven't gotten much sleep consistently for a long time, and I think that has made me all the more sensitive. So yeah, I try to get a solid amount of sleep every night if possible. And now, of course, like you mentioned, you have we are in the midnight sun region, but now I think it kind of like dips just below the horizon, I think. Yeah. Dips just, just below the mountains, but still it's like... Twelve o'clock at night. It's like, you know, it's it's bright. Yeah, <laughs> I, I looked it up here that first night. One reason I was up until two a.m. is because I was fascinated, and um, I think it started saying you have the midnight sun, which is above the horizon, and then I think it's a white day, oh. which is the time frame where the sun goes below the horizon, but it's still light all day. Yeah, yeah. I could be wrong on that. But. How how far up north do you have to get in the U.S. to kind of? You have that in Alaska, I guess. Yep, in Alaska, I know for sure. And you can you get more sunshine the further you go north. Like I've experienced late days mm. in Montana, but I mean it's dark by you know ten thirty at the latest kind yeah. of thing. So like dark, dark. So um, if you if you uh, sometimes you get the uh, you get the question. So what do you do for a living? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what's, what's your answer? Well, I always start by laughing like that because. Um, <clears throat> Throughout my whole life, I've had a lot of different jobs, really, and um, I still do, even while I'm running. Um, and I also find it hard to explain kind of what I do, um, and that because there's also a lot of different definitions to being a professional um, athlete, a uh, trail runner in this case, in which... Um, to me, there can be a lot of different definitions in the way that I actually, you know, a person can be a professional, meaning they're sponsored. But then to me, to be a professional means you're actually, it's my profession, like it's what I'm paying my bills off of. And even within that, there's always been a fine line. It's only been a couple of years that I've been able to do that. Um, so I always give a pretty long answer to <laughs> <laughs> how I make a living. Um, and even this year, um, while I was racing during the summertime or in between seasons, really, I was fixing up a house in between, which becomes a job. Um, so, yeah, I always have pretty long-winded answers for that. <laughs> <laughs> and fixing up a house, that, that's uh, in your, at, your, at your place, at your home, what? Yeah, it is. Um, I've off, I guess I bought and sold a house last year, um, last fall, and so I've now been a part of two different houses, but I always get into older houses, just it's mostly what's affordable, and um, in that case, there's always a lot of fixing up to do, and, and this one in particular did have a lot of fixing up to do, and within the house swap, I was able to put money from the last house into this house, which it desperately needed. Is it the, the kind of fixing that you're into, is it like what you would you need to do or what you like what you want to do like aesthetically or the basics it's both for sure uh it's always budget building you know um and then i mean i definitely try to uh put an aesthetic eye to it and as much creativity as you really can um but that's a pretty basic level yeah and where's where's home um home is uh ridgeway colorado southwest part of the state and you are from colorado i am but you're from uh, Denver. Yep, I grew up in Denver, the mm. big city. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was your, what was your childhood like? Were you a city girl? Um, yeah, I mean, 
Pretty much, I'd say. I was the youngest of four kids, and we always played a lot of city sports growing up. Um, all of us participated in different ones. But then I was fortunate to have a grandma who had a place uh, in the mountains about an hour from Denver. And so for being a city kid, I was definitely exposed to a lot of uh, outdoors, uh, especially summer weekends when I was growing up throughout my whole childhood. Do you know what it was that kind of stuck to you, like why you enjoyed spending time in the outdoors? Yeah, I think um, I think part of it is just the natural desire to be, I was an active kid, so the natural desire to move around. And I really don't know. Um, I, I think, yeah, um, I just think it's, some, it's, to some extent it's just built inside of us. You're, you're either like a city kid or a country kid. Running and around and like jumping in trees and so on. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah. And oftentimes it actually switches. If you grow up in a city, you probably desire like the country or the mountains. And But oftentimes if you grow up in the mountains, yeah. you often want that change to the city as you yeah. get older. Wow, an escalator. Yeah, yeah, people. <laughs> people. Um, so were you the, 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 the kind of kid that had a... Did you have? Did you dream of adventures and expeditions and stuff like that? I don't think I really thought about adventures and expeditions until I was uh, in my later years of high school or the last part of my schooling, and then that's when I really started to be able to like my friends and I would go outdoors a lot more for fun, and I was breaking away from team sports and realizing kind of what you could do in the mountains, and that's when I just started taking all of my energy and putting it towards the outdoors. But it was because you were like you play tons of sports um, but but as you kind of um, uh, as you kind of uh, transferred into the outdoor area did you do it for the experience of it or did you do it for the physical like sports side of it or the you know what I mean Yeah, definitely for the experience side of it first. I'll, like, uh, I think it did have a big influence on me that a lot of my friends had shifted into people that spend a lot of time outdoors. And um, so it, that's just what we did for fun is we'd go to the mountains, we'd hike, we'd go on like ski hut winter trips. And, um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter, um, once my team sports ended when I was out of school, then I felt inherently that I, I wanted to be doing something. I always needed to kind of run for I think more than any just thing just for like my mental state it was it's always been a healthy thing for me like brushing your teeth or something yeah. and so um, so then I just started to combine those two together um, did you have any uh, like as, as a kid or as a teenager what did you have a plan like so this is what I want to do with my life like uh, this is what mm-hmm. I want to become when I grow up Um, interestingly enough, like my very first memory of what I wanted to be when I was gr- when I grew up was maybe when I was like four years old. I mean, I'm sure it was shortly after the 1984 Olympics, and I wanted to be like a track star. I wanted to be an <laughs> Olympic track star, and I, I actually never pursued that. I I did a little bit of running in in high school in my in, before university, but I never at that point wanted. I didn't want to be any kind of like runner in particular at that time. So, but then after that very initial bit um I don't think I was one of those kids that wanted to be anything in particular and once it came around to trying to get into higher education like university um, I thought I wanted to work with plants 
um, doing, you know, landscape architecture or something like that. And um, and then once I started pursuing that, my I shifted a lot into a lot of different majors. So um, yeah, I think I've just always gonna like I think I've always just been one of those people that's more about. Um, what life hands me rather than mm, um, one particular path. Yeah. But uh, I mean, uh, dreaming of uh, dreaming, but planning, thinking about uh, becoming a landscape archi- architect is that um, uh, is that because you you saw like nature as a such an important part for you in your life, or that you really wanted to get your like like you know hands dirty in the soil <laughs> did you enjoy that part yeah you know at that time and actually it's still true that i really really enjoy flower gardens and um to me that was an avenue in which i create could create nature in the city um i wasn't sure where i wanted to live but that just seemed like one of the paths that was available to me at that time and as soon as i started studying it i it's it's kind of just like the other themes of my life where i was like well this is kind of a city job i don't know if i want to do this kind so maybe i'll move into these other paths so landscape architecture went to horticulture went to forestry went to biology went to cultural anthropology wow (laughs) so So you have a lot of like basic courses in in a wide range of yeah (laughs) (laughs) you could be a good bartender like speak about like anything with anyone (laughs) yeah well i i I spent a lot of time owning a coffee shop so it's very similar (laughs) you just don't have in general you don't have that long of conversations as you do with um, tending bar (laughs) but you had a interest in in art as well Um, was that was that when you were younger yeah, when I was younger, I did actually, you know, I always enjoyed, um, you know, m- simple sides of art, I would say. Um, but, and I always did that to kind of calm my mind, actually, as I think about it, until life kind of got too busy to um, provide for a much leisure time like that. Yeah. Um, and when it comes comes to these, like, outdoor activities that you started participating in with your friends, like, what kind of... Um, was there a time that certain activities kind of stuck out like okay so running is more fun than hiking and climbing is more fun than that and skiing is more fun than yeah um i think once um my friends started to backcountry ski or do you know um do more ski huts and stuff like that then that really opened my eyes like oh wow this is like what i really like to do because you have you know you're you you're in wilderness but you're also getting fantastic powder turns in colorado um and then from then shortly after that i that's when like that fitness thing started going into the mountains and i lived in the mountains and i just wanted to get outside to experience and see more so that's when i decided that or i figured out that um running's a way to go twice as far as you can on a hiking day um and so that was a big reason i just started running then it's because you know Back then, too, of course, I was holding down a job, and you can go out for an hour run and get pretty far rather than a hike. You just don't yeah. get so far before Fast you go to work. Yeah. yeah. And I guess, like, living in a in a mountain village, like a mountain town, you can, if you live there all year round, you can, that's going to be a really nice way to get to know the mountains and the nature and to see them, what they look like beneath all that snow cover. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be really fun and interesting and also uh it's gonna be 
kind of good if you want to, uh, I don't know, just thinking of like avalanche security and avalanche awareness and stuff like that. So you know what's like beneath you and you get to know the mountains that way. Yeah. And for me, I think more than anything, it was just one of those things where you go on one trail and you're like, oh, well, well what's on the other side of that mountain? Yeah. And really trying to experience a lot of like where you actually live. Yeah. Um, so what can you tell us about Colorado? Like your Colorado. The elevator pitch for Colorado. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Colorado is—it's um, a hard place to not love because um, it's got a lot of sunshine. Um, it has a lot of mountains, two different ranges actually, and they're really easy to access for the most part. And they're not intimidating like, say, Alaska with grizzly bears or other parts of the world with poisonous snakes. And, you know, they're really actually, they're incredibly user-friendly basically. And <laughs> the wildflowers are amazing. Um, call, the fall colors are amazing. And uh, yeah, the skiing is fantastic too. So, um, <laughs> and there's some cool cities now too. <laughs> what, what kind of elevation are we talking about? Um, most of Colorado is at least like um, 6,000 feet. They call Denver, Colorado the mile-high city because mm -hmm. it's 5,280 feet above uh, sea level, which mm -hmm. is a uh, mile. Mm -hmm. And uh, But a lot of the mountains um, are more around 9,000 feet. Mm -hmm. A lot of the mountain towns are a little bit lower at about 8,000 feet. And, Sorry and, about and, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's between uh, two, two and 3,000 meters. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what what elements do you miss in Colorado? Um, like, what do you don't have in in Colorado? Um, oh, what uh, what what don't we have in Colorado? Yeah, basically, yeah. um, well, I mean, compared to the Alps, the Alps have a lot more steep terrain and a lot more um, aesthetically beautiful peaks. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, it, really to compare Colorado to the Alps is uh, the Colorado, like Colorado mountains seem to have the feel of almost the foothills, say around like Chamonix. Yeah. And then you have, you know, the highest, the glaciated peaks even higher. And in general, um, the Alps are a little bit more intimidating um, once you get into areas with glaciers and stuff like that, um, as far as summer and winter travel goes. So I, I think that the Alps are definitely have a little bit more of an intensity to them, mm -hmm. which is why I also enjoy coming out to Europe. But is it, um, because I, I think sometimes that the Alps is, of course, what you, everything that you said, like the you got the intimidating peaks and you got the dramatic uh, nature and scenery and so on, but um, you don't really have, I mean, of course, depending on how you define it, but you don't have wilderness in that way, like you do, for instance, up here in northern Scandinavia, where it's like proper wilderness. Is it the same in Colorado? Like you have, do you have like what you would call wilderness or is it kind of... Well, you got mountain villages, villages all over. You got like trails and and roads and stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh, Colorado is a lot like Scandinavia, and that is a huge difference between the Alps and Colorado. Is um, it's a give and take. I mean, you have an incredible trail system around the Alps because of how many people have lived there over yeah. such a long time. But it's much more difficult to kind of get away and have your own solitude. While in America, we do have a lot of different um, um, categories, even of wilderness where particular things are allowed and not allowed as far as motorized use okay. and um, some of those wilderness areas are pretty big pretty extensive like days of backpacking um, mm -hmm. to cover the land and um, yeah so much more like Scandinavia in the way that you can go out on trails and not really see anyone. Um, and isn't Colorado kind of a, a hub when it comes to like outdoor 
trends or activities and so on, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say it is. Or at least one of the hubs in, in the U.S., isn't it? Yep, it's got, you know, quality rock climbing, quality skiing, and quality, out, like, mountain biking, obviously quality running, so it definitely makes it a major hub for yep. um, outdoor sports. Um, and when it comes to the seasons back home, like, do you... Uh, Do you have a particular love? Do you still like more? Of, do you, would you define yourself more of a kind of a winter type of person or a summer type of person when it comes to being back home? Yeah, I mean, for a lot of years, I would have said I was a winter person. And as I get older, I enjoy the summer a little bit more all the time. But more than anything, I'm certainly a four seasons of the year kind of gal. I like the change of all of the seasons. And um, yeah, so anymore, it's like, um, yeah. Um, i kind of get sick of summer and at some point i get sick of winter too <laughs> in the end of every season you constantly are looking forward to the next one yes yeah. um this like backcountry skiing for instance did that take you like deeper into kind of the alpine activities like when it comes to like climbing and so on like rock and ice climbing or something did you mm. you do stuff like that as well or Yeah, I would do a little bit of it all, but most certainly um, backcountry skiing has been my number one. And that, like I would say, backcountry skiing really um, opened my eyes to more than even just trail running went, as far as how to explore the mountains and what the potential is and what it is to actually be on top of peaks and wanting to do more of that. Um, and then, you know, like once again, in Colorado, they almost are like pretty well-defined differences between actually just like skiing, um, ice and rock climbing and you know your summer stuff because um, we just don't have a lot of that glaciated um, technical um, glacier travel mm. um, so you kind of do one or the other um, where I live where my home is it does have good opportunity to do all those things it's really close to the Uray Ice Park um, but for a long time I didn't I've always concentrated on backcountry skiing because it was hard so to convince, much fun <laughs> yeah it was hard to convince myself to go sit in the cold yeah. um, next to ice <laughs> and um, which is and it's also a pretty sc- uh, like scary sketchy yeah. sport um, but um, the now I'm trying to shift it into a little bit more of the things I haven't done so um, and yeah and now because now you're a runner and you participate like you compete in sky running and so on you you have background as a solid skier so when it comes to like ski mountaineering which is really taking off at least in Scandinavia is really taking off much thanks to Emily Forsberg of course <laughs> and it's of course it's a super big thing in the Alps um, but now I have a question because I've interviewed Emily before and I asked her like don't you ever like when you are out like in your when you're like super light uh, skis don't you ever like really wish that you had proper skis on when you like walk in great conditions when she was like no but this these are my proper skis <laughs> like so she she doesn't like you know go like skiing on a what you would call like powder skis and so on yeah what are your thoughts on that i mean are you willing to kind of give up your your proper skis for 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 the light stuff or would you feel like mm-hmm. out of out of place on, on the the light and fast stuff yeah no um i have a really hard time giving up my powder skis to me it's just like that's probably what makes me the happiest of all the recreations I do is just to make deep powder turns 
Um, and um, so, yeah, that will always be my number one. And um, I do totally appreciate the light, the fast and light ski, mountaineering skis these days. I mean, the performance on those things is so much better than I ever thought they would yeah. be. Even, um, in, even in, like, a good powder day. Well, see, that's just it. Like, in Colorado, I, I, I think, I, I haven't skied over in Europe, and I'm very, very curious. But, um, I mean, Colorado snowpack is so different in the way that if it's a powder day, you, you're not going to want to be on skinny skis. And in, in a lot of ways, it's really not safe to be on skinny mm-hmm. skis because you're dealing with, like, you know, um, you're dealing with skis being, like, one foot, two feet deep in mm-hmm. snow. You know, they just don't have the, li- the, mm-hmm. the float that you mm-hmm. want them to. But there's also plenty of days that you can get away with um, with um, lighter skis. But, you know, if it's not powder, a lot of times it's just like breakable crust and stuff yeah. like that. So um, so if I'm really serious about like an adventure on mo- most days in the wintertime, I'd definitely take my heavier gear because it's just um, I know it's going to get me there and get yeah. me out. Um, and I'm going to enjoy my turns. And uh, ski mountaineering setups are more for um, really like spring sn- snowpack. But you have been uh, participating in schemo competitions, right? I've done a few. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. They're pretty. They, in general, it, the sport is growing. But in, and in general, they're they've been far from where I live, and. Um, it's really important, I think, to be around a ski area to get like kind of your heart rate up on yeah. like um, groomed trails. And for a long time, I haven't lived near a ski area. Um, it'd be quite a drive to get to one. Um, so, um, and like now, I, I kind of just have like I wouldn't say it's a struggle, but an internal struggle about um, giving up my pot, my free days to go powder skiing just to, um, you know, kind of like get up that heart rate and the intensity I do all summer racing, um, running. And um, so I guess I don't know where I'm at with <laughs> ski mountaineering. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think it's I will I can say that uh, ski mountaineering races are a lot of fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to running, like, did you ever? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B 2 B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B 2 B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Set up a, set up a plan, uh, like a strategy, or like did you put up a, like a goal that you wanted to follow when it comes to like becoming, because now you're, a, like we talked about, like you're a sponsored uh, trailer runner, or, or was it like you just rolled with the punches and like, made the most of out of each situation yeah yeah i think both of those things you know um actually when i was like um 20 years old one of my experiences in the mountain town was um i got a job at the nordic ski center and i had never nordic skied growing up i'd always just downhill skied with my family and all of a sudden i like realized how great nordic skiing (laughs) is you know and i actually at that brief moment i was like i want to be a professional nordic skier in the United States, you know, that's a pretty late start for a Nordic skier yeah. in any country, but certainly in the United States, it's more of a college sport, really. Um, but that really got me into the fitness side of things, and uh, it was my push for a long time to, um, to, to, to train, basically. And I did that in a lot of different ways. But then for running, I just fell into it. I was at a couple of uh, citizen races uh, around Colorado, and I ended up doing well at... Um, well, that was like terrain races or trailer races? Or? Those were tr- like trail slash mountain mm-hmm. races. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing well. And then um, opportunity, le- like one le- opportunity led into the others. And um, like in the way of races, like what kind of race opportunities there were and also sponsorship. Um, but I, at this point, I think I'm in like probably 10 years of being a sponsored runner. And within the sponsorship side of things, I've definitely kind of like taken what I have been given and um, worked through a lot of, um, worked my way up, I guess, in um, representing different companies within the sport. Uh, because you ending up with Essex, uh because I met you once before, like four years ago in Chamonix, and uh, you ending up with with Essex uh, was kind of a just a like pure coincidence, wasn't it? Like strike of luck, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely More or less was. Like, uh, could you? What can you say about that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, the sport of trail running has changed a lot. It's changed a lot in the in ten years' time, and there was not a lot of opportunity ten years ago for any kind of sponsorship that would allow you to um, travel internationally. It still is pretty uh, few and far between that get that opportunity, 
And but back then, I mean, it was almost unheard of that a company would um, help you get out to international races, you know. Um, so yeah, ASICs did kind of kind of come out of nowhere at a time that I almost stopped racing because of my life situation, and um, yeah, just couldn't really afford to get to races. And so they kind of came out of the blue. And um, at that same time, the whole sport of trail running was really really changing, and um, there were more people like coming out internationally, which they had in the past without a doubt. But um, I just feel like the world itself was coming together at that time trail running at like was coming together at a time and so the world of trail running was really coming together at that time um so yeah that kind of allowed me to go a little bit further and has certainly um played a role in being where i am now but is it because i i know this might be a kind of a strange question but i can also imagine i mean is it really a like for you and your running is it is it really a big difference like would you say like hypothetically now that you're sponsored like if you didn't have the sponsors i'm guessing you would still perhaps run as much but you would run in different places maybe yeah I think, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think all of us runners run for a way bigger reason than, you know, any kind of, um, you know, accolades like that, you know. So I would certainly be a little a, a different runner, and I'd be around home more, which yeah. um, is not a bad thing, you know. And um, I think my pursuits would still be about the same as far as my desires to do, the, the distances I like to do, and the type of terrain that I like to do. I don't think anything's changed as far as that goes. Um, yeah, just certainly that I have the opportunity to, to go other places and really to, you know, race against uh, other athletes from around the world, which has always been like an objective and um, – Um, a pleasure about being in my situation because now you're in the in the Solomon team like this is the first season what does that mean you think like what will it mean for your development like teaming up with uh, like we said before the interview with like Max King and uh, Emily and Kilian and, and the likes um, the, uh, people like that Yeah, I have to say it's just like it's grown into something that I feel like is actually a, a real honor just because of the company itself and how they carry themselves, um, what they do for the sport, and um, just that they are a mountain-based company, always have been, and I think it just reflects in so many positive ways that I feel um, proud and lucky to be with the company. Um, and yeah, all of their athletes are stand-up individuals and the, st the strongest in the sport, so Yeah, once again, it's, it's just an honor. An honor yep. um, what, what type of races attracts you? Like, what do you want to do? Like, where do you want to, uh, where do you like to race? Yeah, that's just it. Is I, um, I like a lot of different kind of running. You know, there's no in particular one thing I like. I certainly, obviously, I'm attracted to the mountains and um, getting on top of peaks and stuff like that. And it's really amazing that we have races that like allow us to do this. Um, but I also really like nice single track where you can go really fast on, kind of like Bend, or Bend Oregon style or you know Marin County style. Um, and I like going to places that I haven't been. You know, I definitely tw like lean towards aside of places that aren't so hot like mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't be so passionate about going to rainforests and doing adventure running there but other than that um, I really kind of thrive off of um, seeing new places and experiencing different landscapes and when it comes to distances because you you uh, you compete and you do verticals and you do sky running and marathons and so on have you done ultras as well 
Um, I've dabbled a bit in ultras, like for probably the last four years I've done, I think four years, I've done one ultra to kind of like cap off the end of my season. <laughs> and that's kind of been um, by design. And I've been trying to keep it to the sub ultra distance for a long time because it's my first passion. Um, and also because I feel like there's plenty of time for ultras as I get older here. And um, now I am at that kind of borderline where I feel like I am now um, going into my ultra um, years, basically and leaving some of the short um, distance, a lot of the short distance stuff behind. So what, do you, what are you aiming at? Like any particular races or tours and stuff that you want to uh, tick off? Um, for me, I've always really, I mean, I, it's kind of a given, but I've always really enjoyed the European side of racing. Um, the, it's just such a cultural entity there that lacks in the United States. So yeah, I mean, if I'm gonna go to do a hundred miler, I want it to be UTMB. Yeah. Um, and then of course, so, you know, prelude to that is the CCC. So those two things I think would are kind of like what I would love to be my main concentrations. And then um, I haven't really taken the time to figure out which other races I am attracted towards um, within um, throwing in some more races, I'll, you know, within the next couple of years of pursuing those two. Um, speaking of differences between the US and, um, and the Alps, um, when it comes to sky running, where is sky running in the US right now? Well, my finger's not exactly on the pulse this season. Um, I participated in um, I think one of the first two couple years when the U.S. Sky Running um, Continental Series was getting going, and it's it's really hard, I think, um, to get similar sky running in the United States because of our regulations on public land. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of permit issues and stuff like that. So, um, and just our natural like uh, terrain, just once again, it's not as steep as the Alps are. So, um, but you know, like, you know, here in Tromso, perhaps it's like similar terrain, but like our far off peaks are like fairly are a lot of those peaks are regulated in which you have to have permit the permit process is really you difficult can't let up 500 people trail shoes so yeah. ripping it yeah exactly <laughs> so i know that i know there's a lot of emphasis going into boosting up the um the u.s sky running series and hopefully people are like the people that make the decisions are going to start seeing the progressive side of things and uh, open up some of the the terrain that um is easily accessed for these kinds of races so i i think it's a a work in progress um and speaking of mountains and, and similar similarities and dissimilarities um we're now in tromsa which is kind of a mountain village in a way coastal but also mountain village and and you you've lived in silverton and now you live in ridge ridgeway do you feel like are you attracted to mountain towns like small cities in the mountains Yeah, I certainly was uh, 20 years ago. And once again, as I get older, I kind of am gravitating towards more people and more people and more people. <laughs> like now I pretty much joke that I'm going to move to the city when I'm 80 years old and retire there because I think it's a great time. You just be close to everything yeah. and you go see theater and stuff like that. But yeah, certainly my heart and soul is in smaller places that are closer to the wilderness. Is that like moving around like that? Is that like traveling and so on, racing in different countries and so on? Is that important for your... Like, what do you pick up in each? Do you, because you've spent a lot of time in Nepal, for instance, I know, and in South America, New Zealand. Do you like? Have you? Are you 
an assembly of different type of running cultures or different type of inspiration that you picked up from all these places or you know what I mean yeah I think so but I think one really amazing thing about mountain culture is that it's all really open and friendly you know it's no matter where you go it's like basically the same yeah pretty laid back open and friendly I think you just have to be with your environment and stuff like that you know and everyone kind of just has the same eyes that they people just want to help you and make you feel at home so it's almost um it's the, those differences, but almost that, that similarity that makes you just want to go meet and go to new places because of that commonality, I guess, in between. Uh, is it ever an issue to kind of readjust yourself, like coming to a new place? Uh, like, for instance, you haven't been in Scandinavia before, and now you're going to compete tomorrow. Like, do you feel like, do you have, like, some, I don't know, rituals mentally or physically or whatever? Like, or is it just, like... No matter where you go, you can just, as long as you're relaxed and you get good rest, you can you can go out there and, and run and perform. Or is it an issue to readjust? Yeah, I think because I've done this for 10 years. I mean, perhaps back in the day, I was a little bit more like um, more cyclic with what I did before races. But you do it long enough, and I think um, the most important for me is to um, know that nothing, no one thing in particular actually does make that much difference, you know? Like, I've had races where I've got no sleep the night before and had a great race. I've had other races that have been disastrous because I haven't had <laughs> sleep the night before, so who's to say that sleep makes a difference? And then, um, yeah, you know, to try to keep one kind of food, like, on the menu before a race, I mean, that's... Oh, they don't have spinach! <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, like, that's a pretty hard way to travel to, so I definitely try to just keep an open mind and, like, yeah. do my best I can to take it easy before a race for sure, but um, I always break the rules like this morning. <laughs> um, and I'm curious about like your um, the inner debate that I think uh, I, I always break the rules, but not in races. <laughs> I am a stickler for playing fair. <laughs> Megan does not cut corners. Um, when it comes to your because I, I think or perhaps all runners and especially runners in your in your league um, have a lot of like the mental part of running like the inner debate between your mind and and your body uh, like for I just did an interview with with Stian for instance and we talked about that as well like if you because I sometimes think that you can see the if you while racing uh, you see your body as kind of a machine and your brain is like in the driving seat and you just push the gas pedal like okay so the body is like screaming at you it's like I'm tired I can't move you know my legs are hurting but the mind is up there like in the driving seat just driving seat like pushing the gas pedal all the time mm -hmm. is that something you are good at or is it something that you have improved or what's your what's your thoughts about that yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of racing, right? Um, it's a huge part of everything that we do, um, especially as you get to a higher level, whether it's, you know, art, whether it's, you know, making music or whatever, is like letting your mind kind of um, strengthening your mind, I guess. And so I think certainly it's something that um, I've used and I've definitely gotten better at over the years. Um, you can... Yeah, your bot, like, yeah, I just don't think you can underestimate the power of the mind, really. Is it something that you, is that one of the reasons that you enjoy running like this? 
to kind of de like con that connection that you are able to make. Yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah, it's actually a. Uh, I quoted Max King when I interviewed him. Uh, when I interviewed him, he said uh, something like, "While training, you listen to your body, and while racing, you tell it to shut up." <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I think it's a good quote because yeah. <laughs> because of course you can't push the gas pedal all the time. Like you gotta you gotta relax as well. Yeah, but it's a good quote. I think. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> uh, so, but but you do have like a mental difference, like. A difference in your like mental like state of mind going out just for a run, you know, free time, and 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 on race day, there there is a difference for you, or is it the same? Like, do you have the same mentality? No, there's definitely a different mentality, um, just depending on really what the race and the race objective is, I think, and also the distance. I mean. To me, as I get into like the longer distances, I think it's all the more important to make sure you just have a good fun day, you know, because if you um, if you're too intense about what you got going on, just depending on the race itself and the terrain and everything um, that can just maybe get you into a little bit more trouble than if you just go out there to enjoy the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, like mentally, where do you uh, where do you where do your thoughts go? Like when you're out on a long, long haul. Yeah, I try to actually not let them like, I just try to silence my mind and um, be in just, the moment. Yeah, say be in the moment. Exactly. You know, because um, it's so easy to let your mind go in like a million different directions. And it will to, to some extent. But I mean, to me, yeah, I guess it does have that side of a meditation, which that's kind of the, the idea is to like not let your mind just like go as wherever it wants to is to kind of like still the mind and um, yeah, enjoy where you're at at that time. Um, another strange question. What does your reactor look like? Like what does your core look like? <laughs> the, the energy that keeps you going? Yeah, I'm not really so sure about that reactor right now. Um, I would say right now, in general, in my life, it's pretty chaotic. <laughs> but that must be do something like that must itself do something positive. And um, I guess like deep down, if that's how I feel about my core, then I must also like do all right with kind of that kind of like crazy energy that's going on in there. And um, so yeah, um, I think at some points in my life, I would say like it's been. A little bit more solid but I think I also now at this point in my life with a lot of travel with a lot of stuff going on in life and all of that and I think that it must be that deep down like pretty solid core that keeps like all the craziness that's going on around me uh, set in does that make sense <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a mixed fuel reactor yeah yeah <laughs> sometimes it just depends on the day unfortunately and uh like your your strength and your weaknesses as a as a runner like both mentally and physically do you have a uh, you have any thoughts on that um 
I used to, yeah, I, I think that at this stage of my running, I have a lot of change going on. I, I really honestly do think that um, as of this season, um, I just don't have a lot of speed left in me. I am, I'm, I'm 37 years old now, and I just, I like this this um, season in particular, I've noticed a big difference, um, if nothing else, in my desire. I just don't even care so much about, like, you know, running up, like, hill fast, as fast as I can, you know now and intervals just aren't quite as exciting as they used to be for me and I do look a lot like I look forward to the more adventure side of things and taking it slow and making it through a long day I've always enjoyed that but I've always I've always been in the time frame that I wanted to use my speed first so um, I'm not exactly sure where my strengths lie right now except for that I certainly have had the passion um, to do what I've wanted to do for a long time and um, it still remains and mentally, um, yeah, it almost goes hand in hand with that physical part where like right now, I think a lot of me is just like, well, what am I doing? You know, like I like part of my mind is really sad that like my speed that I'm leaving speed behind, <laughs> mm-hmm. even though mentally I've been preparing for this like particular year in this transition for quite a few years. So part of me is sad, but then a lot, a big part of me is kind of happy. I'm like, all right, like I'm getting older. I don't have to do that anymore, you know? So looking forward to doing other things is what that is. Um. But do you have like adventures and and stuff like that in on your list? Like I want to do embark on this like a uh, ten day excursion or something or. Yeah, I've got I've gotten really really um, busy racing in the last few years, and that's a huge reason I actually want to go more into the ultras is um, to not be racing quite as much, because I do feel like I haven't had that um, that um, that space to to create and to go about adventure runs because I'm always kind of in between races. So I I started with that desire before I started racing when I was 20 years old. It was just all about going out for fun adventure runs, uh, but then I wanted to harness like the opportunities that I had and see how far I could push myself. Um, and so, yeah, now I'm starting to think more about those adventure runs. And, of course, now we have this whole FKT phenomena that's started to happen. And What's that? Um, FKTs, like Fastest Known Times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I actually have a hard time, like, caring about so much because to me it's just like, oh, gosh, like, how come we always have to make it about who's the fastest? Yeah. Like, you know, isn't the point of, like, going on a big adventure run, like, to, like, kind of slow down and enjoy, like, where you're at, smell the flowers, <laughs> take a picture. But it's, you know, it's part of human beings to mm. push, and um, it's ultimately a healthy thing. Yeah. So whether it's just going out for adventure runs or pursuing some FKTs, like, time will tell um, but hopefully I do have the opportunity to do some of those like within my um, ultra training as well yeah um, so what does it look like you're like you're you're setting up your schedule for the coming are you even able to uh, plan like one or two years ahead or is it just this season now and then let's see yeah I think um, how things have worked out for this season it's I'm certainly in a situation where I just um, I'm waiting to get through this season and then off season will come and that's when I can really start to think about like um, time frame for different races and um, just some you know just where my personal life is at and be kind of realistic with what I um, can pursue next year Yep. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I thought about something as far as uh, the physical and mental side and my mental strengths, and without a doubt, like the my my personality and part of my strength and weaknesses men- mentally is that um, I'm pretty easygoing. Um, definitely go with the flow. I definitely like, but I'm also really focused. So I have kind of like a silent focus, really. But ultimately, I know that no one thing matters, and I think that that can be really important. Like. When pursuing racing, yeah, yeah, we didn't even get, get to the uh, the weakness part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But is that? Um, are you a competitive person, or is it like that you can you're so easygoing that there's no prestige, and that kind of I don't know could it lead to you not, you not being super competitive? And from a racing perspective, maybe that's a weakness or what? Yeah, I I kind of have this theory that our strengths are our weaknesses, you know. Wow. So a lot now of we're getting really <laughs> philosophical. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so like if you're you know the beautiful thing, like it can be a weakness. Let's just take this one example of being pretty easygoing, you know, where it it can it, of course you can see the weakness right there. Like ah, it doesn't matter. Like who cares? But the strength of it is is that you don't let one thing get you yeah. down. You know. In the long run, it's got to be positive to not be you know allow yourself to be let down for a small thing yeah. like for instance if you if you have to uh you're unable to finish a race it you would you know you would just shrug it off i guess or yeah well you you know i guess i i don't think like shrugging off is quite as like on to the way I would look at it as taking the experience for what it is oh, yeah. and learning mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, if you're too focused on one thing, I think it's easy to like forget about that and be like so down on per- your, your bad race that you don't realize really what you gained from it. And there's always things to gain, you know? If things happen, most things happen kind of for a reason or for most things happen and you do learn something from them. So you might as well just take the lesson yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and become stronger for it, for sure. And now your thoughts on Tromsø Sky Race, like you're doing the Hamperokken tomorrow. Yeah. The long one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What do you expect from it? Have you been out like uh, doing some recog, recog, recognition, or have you like have you tried parts of the course? Or? Yeah, um, I I I, I kind of struck it lucky with um, the place I've been staying for like the last few days. Um, that it was like five houses away from um, the first part of the race. So I was able to hop on the race course like very easily when I first got here. And so I went up for the first part of that a couple times because I didn't have to drive anywhere. And um, yeah, and then of course you can see the first peak from the time you're like flying into Tromso. So even before I realized that that was the course, I was like, oh man, I gotta go run that regardless, you know, so easy access. And then I did have the um, luck of getting a good view um, at one point in the last few days where I saw the second peak out there and that looks great um, and I think it's a really well designed course in a lot of ways but super cool that um, that that peak is so far out there like I feel like I'm really going for an adventure you know wow. um, mm-hmm. yeah and I think it's going to be a pretty wild day um, it looks like a lot of different terrain um, and um, yeah I think that further out peak I'm sorry I can't pronounce the name I can't remember the name right now Hamperokken it looks just like a great uh, attribute to the race because um, because it just looks like fun to me yeah yeah Um, coming to a race like this like because I you know walking around like in this hotel and and walking around town you see uh, you see uh, a lot of racers and you hear a lot of languages like people like literally coming from all over the place to 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 race here is it like 
do you know a lot of people coming here? It's like, oh, hey, you know, I met you half a year ago, one year ago, something like. Is it is it like a, is it like a small family? Yeah. In fact, I haven't made it over the bridge to be in town yet. I do this move, that move after this, uh, this time with you. Um, but already I was in town a couple days ago and I, I, um, saw a friend from a couple years ago, a race that we both did, uh, lives in Alaska and I had no idea he'd be out here. So, um, yeah, it is a small community like that. And I know once I get back into town, I'll be running into more people that like I know, and then also people like you recognize and don't know so well. So, um, so yeah, that's always a fun part. Yep. It is. You know, then the more I've done it, the more I've really gotten to know people better and better. And it just makes it all the more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, your parking time is running out. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, uh, but uh, <laughs> thank you so much for taking your time to, to do this. And best of luck thank tomorrow. You. Yeah, thank you so much. See Thanks for around. having me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Husky is produced in cooperation with Naturkompaniet. And it is powered by Nordic Green Energy, Sweden's greenest energy company with 100% renewable energy sourced from solar, wind and hydropower. Find them at nordicgreen.se. The music is made by Joel Mull. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 